You're listening to Deal Talk with 7MA, providing invaluable insight into investment banking and the M&A space through honest conversations with industry thought leaders, business pioneers, and innovators. We'll pull back the curtain and give you the inside scoop on trends in our targeted industries and provide you the tools to better position your company in today's market. On this episode of Deal Talk with 7MA, 7 Mile's founding partners, Leroy Davis, Trip Davis, and Andy Johnston sit down to reflect on 2020. It was a year unlike any other, but throughout the difficulties, the firm was able to conclude the year with 14 closed transactions and seven new faces. Hear more about specific transactions, industries they are leaning into, and more on this episode. Well, it's been quite a year. 2020 ended potentially stronger than any year where I've ever made a prediction at the beginning of the year and could not have been farther off from just how well our firm did and just how active our market was, both in terms of closed deals and new clients. So I think Leroy Trip it is worth recapping, you know, where the year began and how it ended, because it has been quite a journey. Andy, I thought we should call this podcast Hindsight 2020 with tongue fully inserted in cheek. We only get to use that pun once in our lifetime trip, so let's do it. <laughs> Coming into January, we were feeling really good. And you know, the year was set up. We were recruiting and, and getting good deals done. And if I recall correctly, going into March, you know, we had three with a shot at four scheduled to close. And then COVID hit. Boy, did that kind of catch everybody off guard, but it also kind of helped us focus and recognize the opportunities we and our clients had. So those three in March all got sidetracked, although interestingly enough, we've since closed all three of those. And the fourth is back online. Yeah, it also allowed us to kind of take a step back and and think through what what we were going to do as a firm, right? I mean, while many of our peers were kind of bunkering down and battening the hatches, we decided that that market environment was one where we'd been there before, right? I mean, we, we founded the firm in 08 when things couldn't have been much worse. And although this was a very different kind of marketplace, we felt like most of our clients were still well-positioned in helping industries transform digitally. And because of that, we thought we had a story to tell. And so instead of Instead of bunkering down, we chose to attack. And what that meant to us was focusing on message, triaging clients, making sure that people were in the right place, and taking what we thought was a a true team-based culture proactively to the marketplace at a time where, you know, where, where good bankers may be looking for new opportunities. And so, you know, looking back 14 deals later since April, increased the team, what, 25 plus percent. I think we've hired eight people this year or over the last, you know, since April and just a great stable of clients. I just feel blessed to have, you know, come through it the way we have. The pandemic certainly highlighted some themes that were, that preexisted the pandemic itself. So for sure, digital transformation, cloud migration, e-commerce, industrial automation, all, all of these things, which were very strong themes part of the pandemic, were accentuated by the pandemic, provided that our clients that were in those categories didn't have 
substantial you know client exposure in areas that were obviously impacted dramatically by the pandemic so in a very fortuitous and strange way it in some ways played played to our hand and wish i could say we we wrote a business plan contemplating that in 2008 we did not but but it it did, it did happen and, and we were able to take advantage of it the other thing and i say this with some humility is that we would have kept doing what we do anyway because it's all we know how to do <laughs> i'm just i'm just i'm just glad it worked in almost every case, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure we could go back and look at a couple deals or situations that didn't that stalled out. But I, but I think in almost every case, it it wound up working in our favor, and I, and hopefully it sets a stage for even for even further growth and opportunity looking forward in those categories. Leroy, I, yeah. I, I think I remember an interview you were involved with not so long ago where you referenced pulling an old tie out of the closet and wearing it out to a party and people complimenting you, you on it and you're looking at them and just saying, well, I'm, I'm glad it's back in style because it's all I plan to wear or something along those lines. In some ways, I feel that way about how we've approached the market and the theme of digital transformation you know, through multiple vertical end markets has really just been uh, pushed forward in this pandemic environment. And we've been fortunate to ride that wave. I was just going to make the point that I think we've seen over time now in the last, call it six to nine months, maybe generalist private equity groups or those that IT services really wasn't a focus, all of a sudden it's high on their priority list. And, and I think we're fortunate to be lined up with a market that had the right elements in place to be you know, productive, if not find ways to enhance our profitability. And in an environment where travel becomes very cumbersome and where their end client base you know, ends up becoming much more reliant on technology and enterprise software to enable their core functions. And it really seemed to have created a lot more demand if you're in the right segment. While at the same time, if they were nimble enough, you know, we had clients who were very successful at executing their plans in a pandemic world. And also, I'll just draw this other point, you know, in March and April, it sure seemed like capital markets were headed into a free fall and banks were going to lock up again and we're going to have a wait all over again. Very fortunate that did not happen. And certainly there was a, you know, a month to six weeks where it was hard to get lenders to come in on anything. But once that market opened up again, it really seemed to enable deals to get done and strong valuations that relied on some amount of debt financing to be executed and overall stock market prices. Stock prices seem to have recovered. And if anything, it's been a very strong recovery, and that has given a lot of publicly traded buyers a lot of headroom to continue to explore deals at, at very aggressive valuations, which well, has been great yeah, we, you know, we, in these target markets. We've even seen some creativity by buyers, right, where particularly private equity groups that traditionally depend highly on levered transactions have chosen to over-equitize deals, believing that you know, now's the time to do said transaction, and, and it's worth exposing themselves to a little more risk in the near term for a larger upside in the long term, seeking to, to recap the deal in the near future. I give kudos to the buyers that have remained active, some of which out of need, right? They, they recognized that they were in a position that needed to take advantage of this market shift and others just recognizing the opportunity. We've seen both sides of that coin fall in our favor. We have seen a dramatic shift 
with private equity and their participation in the tech and tech services control deal environment. If you look back on our website and in our history, you know, 10 years ago or more, the vast majority of the transactions were, were with strategics. And now that has has dramatically changed more towards private equity. And I, and I think that's for a few reasons. I mean, number one, there's just a lot more private equity groups. There's fewer public companies actually out there. And I think private equity has been more inclined to be attracted towards these asset light services businesses where in the past they may have needed some PPE to lean up against. And now they'll they'll look at you know the, the growth potential of these tech and tech services businesses and figure out the right equity and debt combination to to get their returns. And I, and I think they've done it effectively. And in fact, it, 15 years ago or so, there was many who were circumspect about the viability of the so-called second bite at the apple that the private equity formula would produce. And we all represented sellers who said, oh, I'm only going to count you know, whatever I get at closing and that second bite, I'm going to heavily discount. And I think that the vast majority of the deals that we participated in have in fact, been true. I mean, it literally is true that the second bite was bigger than, and they've just become much more savvy investors in the tech and tech services space. So I think that's been a major shift, at least over the past 10 years, that I think we've witnessed in the market that we've been covering. Trip, I think you were heavily involved in, in two deals that kind of bookend this period with Calypso, you know, somewhat being the first break in the dam, having announced, I would argue, before the pandemic and then closing after the pandemic became top of mind, at least. I don't know if you could really mark a beginning date, but certainly that seems to have been one that was quite notable for us in, in it closing. And then with uh, Tambourine, you know, closing the year out, it'd be great, I think, for his listeners just to recap those two deals, just to give a sense of what's been going on and of how it started and how it ended. Yeah, what what a wild ride this year has been. And you're right, those two transactions really kind of highlight and and illustrate the roller coaster that that this environment has given us. Both transactions were scheduled to close in March, and both ended up transacting with the buyer that that was at the table at that point in time. In one case, with Calypso, that was a deal that a large public buyer was ready to close, and then and ultimately the market, you know, just kind of the, the market turmoil caused them to tap the brakes a moment and ultimately recognize that. Yeah, this was the right deal for them and the right time to do it. And boy, has it worked out well. And then Tambourine was just a great kind of digital marketing services as a platform provider to hospitality resorts and kind of the vacation-oriented industry. And obviously, that market was impacted dramatically, but it also drove the the reality for, for many of these customers that that they needed these services more than ever. And the platform that, that the client created to provide them was unique. And ultimately, they closed with, with Atlantic Street, a private equity buyer that recognized that, that potential and opportunity for the future. And, you know, boy, just, just great, two great deals. You know, one in digital product creation and industrial optimization and automation, and then ultimately in digital marketing and customer experience. It's been wild, but two great examples of of good deals that uh, that got done in a difficult environment. I had um, two clients that I thought were pretty noteworthy. One is a company called Kest, and they were really focused on B two B 
e-commerce and, and CRM enablement. And boy, did they really have an amazing run uh, as the pandemic really forced a lot of their clients to quickly adopt digital strategies for selling fairly complex industrial products. And that, you know, went from maybe a hybrid of paper-based and in-person selling to all of a sudden had to become remote and, and purely digital and uh, really ramped up their project work and correspondingly revenues and really struck a, a great deal with a private equity group, Trinity Hunt, who was focused on companies that were leading the curve there in terms of digital transformation and then has become kind of a cornerstone to a, a bigger platform where they're looking at other complementary businesses with, with a similar storyline. And then in the B2C space, we sold a company called Something Digital, and they, again, experienced just overwhelming demand, couldn't hire people fast enough. R- really a pretty fascinating case study of a New York City-based company that almost overnight had to switch to remote work. You know, talk about the part of the pandemic, you know, really manage employee safety and productivity you know, in a city that was very hard hit and hired throughout and grew their headcount and closed a great transaction, you know, became a really integral part of Genpact. And it's a great addition to uh, a strategic buyer's focus on, on expanding their e-commerce capabilities, especially in the Adobe space. And then, Leroy, I think you had a couple others as well that were, were great outcomes. Yeah, similar to something digital, I think we I think we had a number of transactions in the e-commerce space this year. And I, I think we, we, we'll see that trend continue. We have a number that are either about to close or have closed, but haven't yet announced. But another one that we did get done during the year and announced was the sale of Zilker to EY. And that was a fairly large e-commerce platform and a, and a fairly sizable transaction for EY in the e-commerce space. And it also, I think, highlighted a theme that we've been focused on for a while is just Eastern Europe resources. So Zilker has a substantial number of people in Eastern Europe, and we've seen and have done a, a lot of transactions where the uh, development centers are based in either Latin America or Eastern Europe. And that's been a theme that we've seen, I don't know, for the past five, six, seven years or so. And, and, and we see that only gaining further steam. And, and also a transaction that highlighted a few themes. One is the, the private equity angle, which I mentioned earlier, as well as the Microsoft and the infrastructure play with Azure and other slices of the Microsoft ecosystem with the sale of AKA to uh, to Carlisle HSO to form HSO's North American platform. So I, I don't know how many Microsoft deals we've done, but we, we've done a bunch. That's the most recent. We have we have more in the queue. And so I, I do think those are all themes that, that continue on for a period of time. Also, Nick Pendergast, who's a vice president with us, along with our Simon Baitler, who heads up, heads up our insurance practice, also just closed the sale of a third-party administrator to a European-based company, and they'll form that European business's TPA platform in the U.S. So there's a lot of exciting stuff to, going on in, in these categories, and I don't think that any of those are going to subside anytime soon. That's a great segue maybe into some of these verticals where we're seeing increased traction and and Primarily, I would argue, because of this whole push for digital, both insurance, like you mentioned, and healthcare, where I think we've got a great capability to you know, bring, I would argue, fairly strategic deals to market and really bring our experience from the digital transformation space and apply that to you know, both healthcare and insurance, which are two 
huge sectors by their own right, but are really being upended at an accelerated pace by digital transformation. Healthcare is now focused on telemedicine. We have acute care hospital systems who are really trying to move as fast as they can, deal with the pandemic response while also keeping their normal operations effective and dealing with a rapidly consolidating market. And, and, you know, the insurance companies on the healthcare side, the health insurance payers, they're not slowing down. They're trying to adopt technology as quickly as they can to find more efficiencies and hopefully get some long-term benefits from some of these digital transformations, like allowing doctors to deliver care remotely, hopefully more efficiently going forward, but also trying to get some of their traditional, whether it's operating rooms or acute care services, back to normal operations so they can recover some of the expenses and and costs they've had to take on as part of this pandemic recovery. So pretty excited about what we've got coming down the pike in, in the healthcare space. I know, Leroy, you guys closed a great deal there that is kind of illustrative of the digital overlapping with healthcare with Ivy. Yeah, a good uh, story around analytics and patient care, referral management, tech-enabled services. So that was, again, a sale to Abri Centauri. So a nice addition to the healthcare practice for Seven Mile, for sure. Another thing that theme that overlaps a couple times in, in our description of these deals is just the multinational reality that the marketplace holds today, right? So yeah, our clients compete on a global basis. We've always believed that we needed to bring the world to the table and not just those you know, buyers that were regional or at the top of everyone's list. And, and what's been interesting about that evolution is not only are our buy side clients coming in from all over the world, but our sell side clients are now international as well. Most recently with a sale of intelligence partner, really a, a Google partner you know, based over in in Spain that also had operations in LATAM down in Brazil in particular, you know, and a global customer base. It's been fun to see these trends play out in Western Europe and Eastern Europe and, and Latin America, you know, as well as certain regions of Asia, all overlapping into our clients and, and the buyers and sellers that we represent. Yeah, I think that's right. It's not only a good source of really interesting, compelling companies who bring a lot to the table, both in terms of capabilities and unique delivery models, but uh, also some strategic buyers who are, who are emerging onto the fold in their own right, and, and their reaching size is large enough now to be really compelling strategic buyers, and, and you are know, oftentimes really interested in looking at platform size acquisitions as they want to leapfrog their competition or break into a, a large and a lucrative market like North America or Western Europe. And are not afraid to make you know really strategic plays with the right kind of companies, and, and feel fortunate that we have the team assembled. We've been building relationships with those companies and, and tracking them really as they grow. And it's helpful to have those executive relationships and insights into strategy to really bring them the right kind of deals at the right time. Uh, so, Trip, I'd be remiss if we didn't bring up one deal in our consumer practice sector that easily had the biggest lift from the, the pandemic response of, of any of our clients. And I'll let you tell the story of Green Global Holding. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, what, what a great what a great team and a great outcome. This group of highly skilled individuals were experienced at, at developing consumer products that found a niche in a lot of different end markets. And ultimately, the product that they developed was 
a solvent capable of green cleaning of all types of environments, whether it be home or industrial or even healthcare related. And it was a, it was a business that experienced a huge lift as one of the few companies approved by the FDA for, for cleaning and disinfecting COVID environments. And so the large, you know, multi-billion dollar public buyer stepped in and did that deal really in an effort to supercharge one of their product categories and really saw this team as the ones to build around. So very excited for them. You know, a great example of folks like Mark Landry who run our consumer effort, getting into a company, recognizing the opportunity and then appropriately positioning, not just for what the company had done historically, but what it could do going forward. Just a great, great success story for all involved. Yeah, really a, a great case study in, in Mark Landry's ability to take his decades of experience and really navigate to a, an amazing outcome uh, for that company and, and you know, Mark's knowledge and ability to articulate value in the consumer space really came through there. So Leroy, I, I thought I would ask you maybe just to give everyone some insight on, on how we pivoted a pretty important part of our business, which is conferences. And in particular, how we pivoted our our access conference, where we like to get a lot of our friends and clients together in one room under normal times, and you know have some good information exchanged, some company introductions, and see some deals come out on the other side, and, and how we were able to keep that successful on a purely virtual platform. That's a good point. I mean, there's a lot. I think a lot of people went through, have gone through the pandemic and the work from home and remote experience, and felt like there's been a number of things that you know, actually worked out pretty well. And there are things that will probably continue once things require less distancing. And I think for us, one of those things was Ariel Barker, who heads up the conference initiatives for us, among among many other things, did a a fantastic job of just switching from an in-person conference to a virtual. Everyone was faced with that. I think we all believe that Ariel did a great job pulling that off. And I mean, if you it depends on how you measure those things in terms of how effective they are. But in terms of like number of interactions and number of meetings and the, the quality of the speakers that we had and those sorts of things, it's, you know, it's tough to walk away from this year's access or last year's access event and think it was anything other than a, a pretty big success. I don't think that means that we abandon in-person conferences. I think we all enjoy, you know, the opportunity to meet in person with yeah clients and prospects and so forth. But without a doubt, there was aspects of that virtual conference. And particularly, I think some of the speakers we were able to get and just the sheer number of meetings we could arrange and the people from all you know all over the world that could attend it. I think we'll figure out a way to preserve that. I don't know exactly how, but Ariel and her team did a great, great job at that. You know, it's one of those things where we just kind of figured it out along with everyone else. Everyone that hosted a conference had, had to figure the same thing out. I think it was successful, but uh, that's not to say that I don't look forward to a time when we don't have to do that entirely. We can actually meet up with each other. And meeting up is exactly what we plan to do at the Teton Summit uh, here in February, right? So we figured if if you have to social distance yet still want to spend time with with clients and prospects and investors and influencers that are near and dear to us, yeah, there's no better place to do that than a ski slope. I'm surprised that we have such interest in the event this year. I, I think we're oversubscribed at this point. But, you know, hopefully that plays out as well. 
one of the few sports where you're expected to cover your face. And if you're getting closer than six feet to someone else while you're actively participating, you might be doing something wrong. <laughs> Should be great. Well, I'm pretty excited for 2021. It you know feels like we have managed our way through an extraordinary challenging time. And I, I definitely want to acknowledge there were clients and people that were severely negatively impacted. And you know we're, we're always looking for ways to help our community. And I think we tried to give back with every deal we closed. And normally we'd have our folks participate in a volunteer day and give back with their time. And this year, I think we're, we're in 2020 rather, give back with financially, but trying to support folks that need it. You know, we're obviously very pleased and excited for our clients who are able to navigate some really successful and, and strategic transactions and been amazed. Uh, I personally have at our ability to keep bringing on really exciting clients now who are exploring the market. And certainly 2020, you know, revealed who was who ready to get deals done. Some new interesting buyers entered our universe, I would say, and are now in the mix on several of our deals. And I think it's given us an even better capability to bring really compelling deals to market and, and put some exciting processes together. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what 2021 holds. Uh, I know we had a few deals that we're trying to close last year that look like they'll get done in the beginning of this year. So I'm very pleased with the momentum we're carrying through the end of the year. And I'm pretty excited about what's to come here in 2021. Just a crazy, crazy year. It's amazing that our team has been able to close 14 deals since April, have 10 current clients under LOI, increase the staff over 25%, and continue to focus on growth and cultivating culture. I hope we can at least meet the bar we've set for ourselves, you know, here over the last 12 months. Leroy, any parting thoughts? What's for sure is 2021 will be different. I don't know exactly how, but it will be. We've been doing this a long time and what's for sure is we'll get curveballs, et cetera, and so forth, but that's what makes this, this job fun. So we look forward to serving clients and helping them transition from where they are to the next step and we look forward to it. Well, Seven Mile Advisors, hindsight 2020. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Deal Talk with 7MA. You'll find more information and resources based on today's discussion exclusively on our website. If you're looking to dive deeper into today's topics, head to 7mileadvisors.com to speak to one of our bankers today. That's the number 7, M-I-L-E-A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S.com. 7M Securities does not make any investment recommendation for any company or security that was discussed, nor does the firm offer any tax advice. Consult your tax advisor for any tax matter that might apply to you or your business. 